Caitlin Zaloom is a professor at NYU, one of the most expensive colleges in the country. And one day near the end of a semester, she was surprised to see one of her star students show up to her office hours in tears. Surprisingly, she was crying because she'd been offered a job and it was a high paying job, but it was working to outsource other people's work beyond the boundaries of the United States. She was going to be working in marketing for that company, which which went against everything that she had committed herself to in terms of working toward, um, you know, social equity and economic justice in college. But because she was carrying so much debt, she felt that she had no choice but to take that work. That student's story inspired Zaloom to dig deeper into how the high cost of college these days is impacting the lives of students and their families across the country. Zaloom is an anthropologist, and so she was interested in how stories like that of this student named Kimberly were emblematic of big changes in American life, especially for those in the middle class who feel increasingly squeezed by college. Hello and welcome to the EdSearch Podcast, a weekly look at how education is changing. I'm Jeff Young. In Kimberly's case, college choice meant tense conversations about money. Her parents were divorced, and and they disagreed on the amount of debt she should take on. Her father felt a more affordable state school was the best choice, while her mother, who herself had dreamed of living in New York City when she was younger, thought the family should make whatever financial sacrifices necessary to send Kimberly to NYU. That put a strain on all of them. And now this NYU grad, Kimberly, was realizing how hard it was going to be to pay off all these loans she had taken out. For her research, Zaloom ended up sitting down with more than 160 people, about 80 students and 80 parents from across the country, for extensive conversations about the cost of college. And she convinced these families to open up their financial books and talk frankly about the toll college costs were taking on their relationships and their financial futures. The result is an often riveting book called Indebted, How Families Make College Work at Any Cost. For this week's episode, I talked with Saloom about what surprised her most in her research, what she thinks should be done, and how she has changed her thinking about saving for college for her own kids. And because the best part of Zaloom's book is the voices from the students she spoke with, I wanted to bring in a student perspective to this episode as well. So I talked with a recent NYU grad who took on six-figure debt to go to college and asked him what it feels like to select a college and now start a career under such financial stress. I started my talk with Zaloom by asking her about a comment she made in the book about how hard it was to find families who would participate in her study. She had quipped that it's easier to get Americans to talk about their sex lives or their deepest religious beliefs than it is to get them to open up about money. It was, it was really, really hard to get people to talk about the challenges of their household finances. People feel really deeply um, troubled about it. And I think that more often than not, um, people have a kind of defensive reaction because they oftentimes can feel like failures about their finances, particularly when they're carrying a lot of debt, including student debt. And so, you know, it really did take an incredibly long time for me to find the 80 students and 80 parents that I ultimately talked to because they really held that that information very close to their 
vast. I would also say that it's really important for middle-class Americans to do that. There's a sense that we should all be financially independent. We should all be making it work, uh, both for ourselves as parents and for our children who might be emerging young adults enrolling in college. So when you know, a professor and her team come around asking about that, I think it can feel uh, quite, quite threatening to that sense of really being a middle class person, because you have to roll out in any of my interviews with with people, all of the details about how we make this incredibly complicated thing work. And the truth of the matter is that we all rely on help. We rely on help from from um, from government sources, from families, um, and you know, from from each other. Beyond that, too, um, just to do what we're supposed to do in the most basic moments of being middle class. Yeah, I was. It's interested how fast your book got to morality, right? Because it's about numbers at the beginning. But it seems like what you're sort of suggesting there is there these parents felt a moral obligation to be able to pay whatever it cost for whatever school their student got into. Absolutely. So I I argue and in data the parents are facing a very powerful moral conflict that the high cost of college places them in. So on the one hand, they feel exactly what you just described, that they should be paying whatever it takes for their kids to get the best education they can possibly manage. And of course they do. That makes every kind of sense. Parenting, uh, you know, in the United States for uh, for generations and generations has been organized about trying to, or, or sorry, has been organized around trying to open up that opportunity. Of course, that opportunity is not at all available to everyone, but trying for it is a real important standard. You know, I, I, I am struck by how little is spoken about some of the issues, despite all the talk about the high cost of college, you know, how these stories of how individual families kind of have to make it work and how hard that can be. It really struck me by how some of it felt like, wow, I haven't really heard some of these stories as much, despite all the ink that gets spilled on these issues. And I wondered, do you think part of that is this idea of selectivity at a lot of these, at a lot of colleges, where in a way, because parents, so much of the debate is about how hard it is to get in, that that becomes the conversation rather than, wait, is that price right? Yeah. So I think that there has been incredible focus on the problem of getting kids into school. I mean, we have an incredible high stakes testing system in this country that puts focus on that moment of getting getting young adults into college and where are they going to get into college. And we also have the sense that there is some kind of very uh, important status hierarchy um, among colleges that are going to allow for some opportunities to open and which will foreclose others. So there is a lot of focus on that moment of getting into to college. But I think that it the pressures of the cost have really been hidden uh, in in part because we have this other conversation going, but also because of the sense that middle class families are just supposed to make it work no matter what and no matter 
what sort of situation we give to them. I guess you use the word traps. I thought that was really interesting that the, that the college system and the finance, college finance system as it is now sets kind of traps for folks in the middle class. And so what kind of examples um, of, of things, of trade-offs parents have to make when they're trying to, what, what do they have to do to make this work? Yeah. Well, parents feel the trap most acutely around what they see as their children's potential. They want to give their children experiences in college that will allow them to develop their skills and to prepare themselves to live in a way that they choose. That's what American independence is supposed to be, to be able to live the life that you choose. And parents really want that. That is a moral commit, sorry, that is a moral commitment, that is a political commitment, and it is an essential emotional commitment. On the other hand, giving children that opportunity requires oftentimes putting money toward college or university that parents themselves might otherwise put toward their own retirements, their own futures. So part of the trap is that we set young adults' futures against their parents. And it shouldn't surprise us that parents choose to support their emerging young adults rather than put you know, money away for themselves. We shouldn't be putting them in that situation in the first place. I'm going to get back to my conversation with Saloom in a bit. But since this can sound pretty abstract, I wanted to hear directly from a student. So I connected with a recent NYU grad who was one of Zaloom's research assistants on the project. His name is Daniel Cueto. And though he wasn't interviewed for the book, he says his own story fits right in. I'm a third generation Mexican-American. Um, I'm the grandchildren of immigrants who came to this country. Um, and really that kind of informed how I perceived college and my own future. I was um, really kind of, um, I took this kind of this American dream ethos of working hard, going to college um, to heart. And as a kid, college was always kind of like the ultimate destination. And um, I, um, my family, we, we kind of struggled with finances um, throughout my upbringing, um, but still kind of college was that um, college was um, college was there was no question about college. Basically, I was going to go to college. My family was going to make it work. Cueto says he wanted to aim high, which to him meant going away to a highly selective private East Coast college. And so he ended up at NYU. He loved the education he got, but he and his family took on six figure debt to do it. And have you ever had a moment where you're like, this was not worth it? Like, why did I do this choice instead of a, a choice that wouldn't have saddled me with so much debt? Oh, absolutely. Um, in, uh, in undergrad, kind of every summer I would come home and I would have kind of this, it was a recurring, uh, it was almost like an anxiety attack that would happen over a couple of days, kind of this like deep questioning, like, what did I do to myself? Kind of seeing, coming back to my family and, you, you know, it's so easy to kind of be away in college, but when you come back to your family and seeing what the, the kind of material sacrifices they're making for your own success, um, it's, it's really humbling, but it's, um, but at the same time, it completely kind of like sent me down these ruts of self-doubt and um, kind of really deep questioning of, is this worth it? Um, should I drop out and transfer? Um, I asked myself a lot, um, should I like take, like take time off, go to the community college, work on the side to provide? But, um, but, my, my, but for my parents, kind of their response to that was like, no, you're in it, you need to finish. And um, to their credit, I, 
and to their credit and with their support, I, I, I did. And I'm here I am. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. We have this idea. I think people have this idea of like, Oh, getting through college, meaning just the academics, like, Oh, could they hack? Right. It oh God. But you're describing, yeah. you're describing a whole different emotional world of making it through. That is not about whether you're good at, at the book stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I worked from, from freshman year up until I, up until graduation, I were not working or there was no question about working. I should say it was, um, I worked, I I worked from doing research with, um, Dr. Zaloom to walking dogs to working in the university call center. Um, anything I could do to like really kind of, um, not only, um, not only kind of accept, kind of save myself from my eventual, uh, uh, prepare myself for my, for, for repaying for loans to like really kind of, um, sub like financing my own, my own kind of life in college just because I, I, I was very wary talking kind of talking about my relationship with my parents. Um, I was very loath to ask them for money and kind of, um, you know, like so many of my students, like their parents would just drop a couple hundred to a thousand dollars in their, in their accounts every month or every few weeks. And for me, that was just, that was, that was not going to happen. I would, um, I would continue to work and I would finance myself, um, for all I did. And, um, I kind of related to this. I took on work as, um, as a resident assistant, um, in college too, just to kind of like things like that, that would really kind of save me money in terms of how much I would end up having to repay covering, um, covering room and board and meals, um, things like that. I got really creative, but, um, but through that, like through this job as a, as a resident assistant, were so many other students like me in the exact same position. So these were all, these were all experiences that really kind of exposed me to like people who had very similar experiences as I did. So, um, who couldn't, couldn't not work like, like I couldn't work, like I could not work, um, to finance myself and to support my family. One thing that struck me in many of the stories Zaloom tells in her book is how families have taken away from their own retirement savings to pay for their kids' college. So I asked her whether she thinks that's going to lead to widespread social impacts for the middle class when today's parents hit retirement age. Yeah, I think that there is going to be a serious moment of reckoning around this. uh, Experts across the field, economists and others, have flagged this retirement crisis um, that we're seeing now, but uh, by which the repercussions of it are really going to emerge um, in years to come uh, and not very far in the future. But the, the fundamental issue for me is that we tend to talk about the crisis of college costs and the crisis of retirement in different conversations. We need to be talking about that in the same conversation because we are forcing parents to choose between their children's futures and their own. You know, there is one pot of money for families and they have to decide what to do with it. Um, And parents are choosing to put it towards supporting their young adults. Do you think we're at a or near a breaking point for where even with their you know, kind of, despite all their best efforts, some more parents are just not going to be able to do it in middle class. I think we are at a breaking point, and we can see that in the kind of political conversations we're having around student debt and the high cost of college. It is very clear that this system is broken um, and that it is putting undue pressure on 
a middle class whose uh, wages are not rising in any way, like the cost of education and healthcare are rising and housing is rising in many parts of the country. So it is part of a broader crisis that we're finally turning real attention to. And I think that that's incredibly important. So let's talk about answers. What, what do you think are some of the things that, that should happen in your view to, to shore up the system or to correct this, all the things we've talked about? Yeah, I think that the key thing is that we have to fund our public higher education systems more robustly. And by more robustly, I mean even just bringing them back to the levels that they were in 2001. I mean, even in places like California, which have had some of the most uh, well-recognized universities in the country, those numbers have also gone down and down and down. Today, UCLA, one of the top research universities in the world, gets 7% of its funding from the state of California. That means that it is a public university only because of the commitment of the educators and the administrators of UCLA, not because the, the funding from the state of California is so robust. So we really need to support our public colleges and universities to do what they do best, which is to educate the rising young adults of their states. It's essential. And it would also have the benefit of reducing some of the pressure on families, not only the financial pressure, but also the moral pressure. Because today there is a sense that sending children to an expensive private college is going to give them a better education. That's been a clear message, that an expensive thing is a better thing um, for decades now, and uh, and we need to uh, bring up the idea that public education is not only um, a, a perfectly fine option, but actually a really great one. And the truth of the matter is that it can be and it has been. So it is simply returning to the commitment that we've had in the United States and that we should be valuing for our future. I have a, a couple small kids and I saw somewhere that I think you do as well. So you're, this is not just an abstract uh, situation for you. And you teach, at a, as you put in the book, a very expensive um, private university, NYU. Um, I guess how, how much, I, I guess from your research, what do you think you've learned that you might even act on as a parent yourself now that you've kind of seen this, these looked into these finances? Well, one thing that I have seen now over and over is that it takes multiple generations, grandparents, parents, and young adults to make it work together. I mean, if the, if the grandparent generation has resources, they are also helping send the, the kids to college. And that is, that is true in my family. And uh, and I feel very, very lucky and privileged um, to have that. But I guess I thought that that was an unusual arrangement. And now that I've, uh, I've talked to so many Americans about how they're trying to make it work and patch it together, I now know that it is a full family effort to get young adults to and through college today. 
And that is really useful because it is also um, crazy. It is also it, that it shouldn't be that way. And it wasn't that way for either the grandparents or even for my generation. So knowing that this is a broadly kind of shared experience really helps me understand how badly we need to be funding our public higher education systems in this country to make them a real, viable, affordable option for families. Wow. So it sounds like these kind of the what started out of a conversation was almost like these dirty little secrets of family finances in America for the middle class. And one of those is that collectively the country is mining generationally generationally and reaching back so far that they're even getting to the parents of the parents to make it work right now. That's right. And I do think it is like mining. It is using a limited resource of a generation, the grandparent generation that had so many benefits that um, my generation and my children's generation do not have. It had the they had the benefit of uh, coming of age in an incredible job market, of the run-up in housing prices, of if they had accounts uh, in the stock market, incredible run-up there. They really had every benefit, but that is a limited resource. So now that generation is putting whatever wealth that they have into supporting the next generations, but that will run out. On a personal note, I have to admit I felt bad asking Daniel Cueto whether he regretted his choice of going to NYU. In some ways, I kind of felt the question implied he was making a bad choice or that he had made a bad choice to to choose the best education he could get. And I felt that way, to be honest, because I did the same thing. I'm from a middle-class family myself, and I got into a fancy private East Coast college, in my case, Princeton, and chose to go there instead of much cheaper other options. And I did work study, and my parents definitely made sacrifices. But the huge difference was that back then, this was a couple decades ago, the cost of college was much less. And so it really wasn't the same level of stress that, that the families today are under. I guess another question that Saloom's book raises is that if you have to take on crushing debt to access a college, is that really access? And I guess your answer may depend on whether you believe college is a private good, kind of a luxury for those who can afford it, or something we should all pitch in to make equally available to everyone. There is a clear idea about college as what you're saying, a private good, a benefit to the people who uh, who carry it, who, who go to college and get educated and hopefully get a degree, and then it's also a benefit to their parents. That's a very narrow... Very, uh, that's a very narrow and kind of private way of looking at what higher education does for us. I mean, of course, there are benefits to the people who go through college, but there are much broader benefits, too. Uh, for instance, the people who go through college end up as really important people in our lives, like teachers, right? All of the teachers in our K through 12 public school system have been to college. Do we want those teachers who we pay far too little to begin with to also be in incredible debt? One amazing fact I thought was that when Uber started, they actually had a campaign targeting teachers who to be drivers. Um, and 
you know, we're asking our teachers to carry debt that then will require them to get second jobs that will require or that will require them to um, to to find income in in other ways. Like those people are essential to not only our our own children's futures, but also to the communities that we live in. Uh, and there are so many professions like that that are essential to the public good. So it isn't only a private benefit. If we want teachers, if we want pediatricians, if we want, you know, dentists who will work in low income communities, we need to be valuing public higher education for what it gives to all of us. So I think that looking at it as if it were some kind of luxury good or like a fancy car or something is, is, is really quite a narrow way of looking at the, at, at what education does for all of us. Well, thank you so much for sharing your research and for talking with us today. Thank you. This has been the EdSurge podcast. Each week, we bring you interviews and stories about how education is changing. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment to share the show on social media or take a minute to leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. This episode was edited and produced by me, Jeff Young. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Thank you.